that is where his story kind of leaves off, where Pantheon now is the face of this movement of, hey, everybody, maybe maybe it's not so bad to be agnostic. Welcome to Casuals of Runeterra, episode 101. That's 101. I'm your host, Ryan, here with your other host, Hedge. No, it's just episode one. The other hundred don't matter anymore. Go ahead. <laughs> Delete them. <laughs> Remove her. <laughs> Remove that. Uh, we're back. Uh, we did it. We hit that hundred milestone for the number, um, even though it's a fake number. And none of, what is it? None of the all the questions are made up, and none of the points matter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but housekeeping matters. It's not made up. It's real. You can very listen to real. us everywhere. Yeah. It's very real, and it's at the top. <laughs> you can send an email to podcastcore. That's c o r at gmail.com. Visit us at podcastcore.com for all of our info, and then follow us on any platform that you prefer, or all the platforms. Uh, because that helps with discoverability and then leave a like a follow or a short review um, or both we, we appreciate that as well uh, the easiest way though that we've gotten this far is by telling a friend word of mouth to forsake the gods by listening to the casuals of unterra podcast and, and if you're in the bible belt like we are just go ahead and take that little quote and send it over to your grandparents and just watch them implode as you forsake the gods for man and for war. <laughs> so today we're finally talking about Pantheon. Uh, this is kind of the shift in tone as far as the stuff we're excited for. We had a bit of a lull there with some characters and champions that weren't that exciting, uh, but still interesting. Uh, but Pantheon is one of those ones that we were ready to get yeah. to because this opens up um, more of the world for us again. That, that's what we, we love. Keep, we love opening up those pathways consistently. Yeah. Th this is going to open up a lot of stuff as well as not involve yordles. So let me tell you, <laughs> I am just so stoked for this one. I forgot. Hitch is a racist. <laughs> I keep forgetting oh, no. who I'm doing the show with. Oh no! Is me being a racist going to be canon now? Oh no! <laughs> oh, I've made so many mistakes in my life. <laughs> uh, but let's get into it. So we start with our spell as always. We're going with battle bonds here, and this is a great keyword um, because it grants. Right? This is a five cost. Burst spell, which when it comes to spells, the cost isn't as important as, you know, units uh, because you can save mana at the beginning. Uh, you have, get to save up to three uh, mana to be spell uh, to be used on spells. So this one says grant two allies plus two plus two. <clears throat> Why this matters is the fate keyword that we deal with in Pantheon's archetype. And we'll talk more about that a bit uh, in a bit. So when you have granting two, well, usually Pantheon decks tend to play at most three units. So this is high value. They get to keep the buffs and it directly targets them. So it triggers the fate ability, which gives them another buff on top of that. Um, but for this one, obviously the quotes would matter for us. So I'll read it. 
Warring against the gods seemed a fool's errand, but though the scars and through the screams, those brave few learned lessons. The gods thought singularly, selfishly, and had lost the gift of camaraderie. This would be their weapon. This would be their armor. And this is referring to the god killers. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. Oh, man. Like, we're, we've got a lot of fun stuff to dive into. But uh, I like it's this is an interesting card because, like, the fact that it grants instead of just for a turn, like a lot of the, uh, you know, combat tricks in Rune Terra, like the granting is definitely something that's worth playing towards. Uh, but even then, like, this was a. Uh, this is one of those cards that when it first came out with Pantheon, it's been buffed since then because it used to be a four mana slow speed spell. Uh, now it's the five mana burst. Uh, and so it's you can actually use it as a combat trick instead of just trying to build up your board to win more. And even then, you don't really see this card played much. So I think that, you know, you know, Riot should go ahead and buff it to be a six cost instead of a five mana drop so that I can play it with Lux. And then, you know, maybe, maybe then it'll be worth playing when you could just burst speed a laser. I love how your whole ideal for this game is just Lux is my, my waifu. I'm going to play her in everything. And a card is only good if it allows me to play Lux. And name one thing that you just said that's not true. <laughs> this takes us to the antithesis of Lux, Camphor. So Camphor the Doubt is a demon, uh, a demon god. Uh, we'll go more into that in specifics later. But Camphor is a six cost, six five that says, when I'm summoned, if you're targeted allies, if, if you've targeted allies in four different rounds, grant me spell shield, overwhelm, and challenger. Now, this card, you know, for our lore-specific matters, as far as the card, not that big of a deal because usually by this turn, you're ending things. Um, yeah. And as we mentioned, the Pantheon archetype is what we like to call in the card game industry uh, Voltron, where you focus on one to two cards and you build them up and then you protect them so they can't easily be destroyed and you don't lose your investment, you know, sunk cost. Um, so camphor kind of doesn't work well in that uh, because even though you target these creatures, you want to use those creatures. You don't care about camphor being big. And on six, you probably want to spend stuff that's going to help you end the game right then in the form of spells rather than a unit. And not to mention that if you're playing this on six uh, as like as a unit that you're trying to play towards. Uh, it doesn't have synergy with a lot of your other stuff because Camphor, for some reason, does not have Faded himself. Uh, so it, he's going to want to be played in a Faded deck, but he doesn't have Faded, so you don't want him in a Faded deck. And uh, the way to get his other effects of the Spell Shield, Overwhelm, and Challenger are the same level up conditions as Pantheon when we actually get to that card. And... Uh, spoilers, if you don't know what Pantheon's card does, Pantheon at this point is going to do a lot more than Camphor. <laughs> like, he's going to have a lot more keywords than just three. A yeah. lot. I, I don't think I emphasize that enough. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but he is very important for the lore. Uh, so, uh, 
give me that flavor text. Well, yeah, give me some flavor. Yeah. So but before I get the flavor text, the card. So for a lot of cards, we mentioned Ari. We mentioned um, obviously Yumi. The pictures and the depictions in the cards are kind of one big event, right? So specifically for Pantheon, a lot of his partnered cards that came along with him when he was released, the art kind of tells the story of fighting Camphor, um, which is why we talked about battle bonds because Camphor is in the background of that one. And in Camphor, you can see them engaging in this battle as well. Um, and there's some other cards that go alongside Pantheon that we'll talk about at the later dates that kind of make up this, this team that we have. Uh, but the quote here says, for centuries, the demon Camphor stalked the lands of Targon, pulling from her victims the very strength that defined them. From the mighty, she would take strength from the wise wisdom. But she had no interest in these boons. Instead, mention the boons, a little, little shout out to a bard there. Uh, if you've been paying attention, um, but instead yeah. she fest she feasted on the suffering, doubt, and misery she inflicted. Camphor was a monster in every sense of the word. Yeah, and I, I like he's so important to the story, and it just is kind of disappointing that his card, uh, like you know, just is kind of lackluster in the deck that it wants to be played in. Because on top of all the things that we just mentioned, Camphor is a demon, so. <laughs> yeah. Camphor's not even a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, Camphor got like no love. But, you know, at the very least, you know, we, we will get to talk about it later on once we start talking more of like the picture. Uh, like if you look at the art for Camphor and um, and if you look at like the art with uh, Eula, Eula, or I, don't I like know, Eula. Not, Eula. All right. Yeah, so I like Eula. The, that that's that's canon now fight us right uh so and <laughs> you look at the art for eula camphor is in that art too so it, yeah you know that he he's going to be popping up a bunch when the more of this story that we get and, and we feel the, the the other part on top of that i want to mention is the timeline so when hetch is about to talk about pantheon story and then we're going to talk about uh, more of his story in the next episode. But for Camphor and how it's representing these cards that came out with this set, um, I believe this takes place after Pantheon's bio and story because the way Pantheon's represented in these cards in Legend of, Legends of Ruterra, uh, he looks more seasoned and he's built this core team of him, Eula, uh, Tor, and uh, the Blind Mystic. Yeah, and and I I also agree that it has to be like later on because we when we dive into the next story after this episode, um, which you know if you're listening to this, definitely look forward to that because uh, Pantheon is has a much richer lore in comparison to some characters like Heimerdinger or something where, like God bless him, he he ain't got nothing as far as lore wise, <laughs> but the um. <laughs> The, the more that we dive into Pantheon, like that next story, there's going to be a lot of stuff there. But it gives that it gives that feeling compared to his bio going to that story that a lot of time has passed. And we know when we're talking about uh, especially the the aspects and the celestials when we're looking at the Targon region, mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff started a long, long time ago. So there's yeah. a pretty high chance that, you know, Pantheon may have started a long, long time ago. Yeah. And we just don't know yet because this is all tales told by mortals. Uh, but, you know, let's go ahead and get into the tale 
told by these mortals. So Pantheon, right? And by Pantheon, we are going to tell the story, uh, the story of Atreus, not of Pantheon, because screw Pantheon and screw the gods. Turn your back on them. This is the story of Atreus. All right. And Atreus is a young man that lives on, uh, that lives not on the summit, but he lives on the mountainsides of Mount Targon. And from a very young age, he aspires to be a Raharak warrior. So the Raharak, uh, if I don't, I can't remember. Ryan, you can kind of help me if yeah. if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like we talked about the Raha Rock a little bit with Leona and yep. Diana's story. Right. Yes, so um, they're they're part of uh, Leona's tribe, quote unquote, um, that yeah. army. Yes, that the, military. The Solari. Yes, so because yeah, Ra being you know Ra, sun god, etc. Yes. Ah, very clever, Riot. No one saw that coming. Uh, but <laughs> yes, the Raharak are a militia that is under the Solari group. So these are the Solari warriors. And the town that Pantheon grew up in is directly tied or kind of not directly tied, but they're kind of the uh, influx or the main tributary to the Raharak, uh, similar to how in ancient Greece, the Spartans are the most well-known and well-remembered of the warriors. Exactly. Uh, whereas, you know, but we're not getting into the whole Greek political thing in different city-states, yada, yada, yada. We yeah. just know that the Spartans are warriors. We're Atreus yeah, join our Patreon up. for that. <laughs> yeah, join our Patreon for that, 100%. And that's only for the $15 patrons. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the 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 town that Atreus grew up in is a tributary directly into the Raharak. So all the kids—that's what they want to do. That's what these kids train for from a very young age. And uh, Atreus is no different from the rest. That's what he is doing from the his earliest memories. And in this training, of course, if you are well known for creating very strong warriors, it doesn't mean that you have an easy go at life. So Atreus is, you know, he's taken his beatings and stuff to become a stronger warrior. And part of taking these beatings is that you start getting beat up by the guys that are really good. And Atreus finds himself building a very strong bond with the star pupil of his generation, which is a young boy by the name of Pylos, right? And Pylos is the golden kid, right? Yeah. Like he can't do anything wrong. And he's the he, quarterback. He's he's the quarterback. He's he's all sunshine, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the but he starts building a bond with Atreus because first and foremost, Atreus isn't afraid to spar with Pylos. And no matter how badly Pylos beats the ever loving tar out of Atreus, yeah. Atreus gets back up, right? He is always back on his feet, no matter how badly he gets beaten up. And there's a, uh, like, 
we get to see like a bunch of fun little quotes on cards and and uh, the story that we get to cover in a later episode, we get to see a bunch of fun quotes of Pilots kind of teasing him of like, "Stop getting blood all over my victory," all right? And <laughs> like, so you know they, yeah, it's that brotherly love of just like the, he's yeah. the big brother, and Atreus is always chasing him, but the like Pilots respects him because he's always getting back on his feet and always fighting, yeah. and they live this way as far as throughout their entire childhood. And that builds up to a point where they do join the Raharak. They have their regiment. They start patrolling their borders and they end up on one of their patrols getting ambushed by a group of barbarians. And this group of barbarians slaughters the entire regiment, save Pylos and Atreus. Yeah. All right. So, that tells us two things. First and foremost, these guys are, you know, these young men now, they're serious. They're serious, all right? Because it's, they're the last surviving members of an ambush. So, like, now you're, you're, you're veteran status at that point. And they know, they clearly know how to fight because if they didn't know how to fight, they would have died with the rest. The other thing that it tells us is that there is something big going on in Targon, all right? Because we we're not talking about Freljord. We're not talking about like, you know, post ruination 3.0 Sharima where, you know, this is an area that of, this is a, a developed area of civilization. So why are barbarians at Mount Targon? Like this is yeah. on the slopes of Mount Targon. This is in the heart of civilization. And these barbarians just slaughtered all of our friends. So Pilus and Atreus, are kind of looking at each other, looking at the carnage around them, and they go, hey, something's wrong. And they both decide, you know what, we're going to go up to the peak of Mount Targon, and we're going to ask the gods directly, why are there barbarians in our lands? Yeah. How could they have allowed this to happen? Because real quick, we want to reiterate, you know, listen to our... um Solaria and Lunari episodes where we talk about all that, right? So Leona. Um, but because we want to reiterate that these warriors are very religious, right? These are very religious cultures, and a big part of their story is about them kind of questioning the gods, right? And this also comes up in our uh, our other Targon episodes as well. Because one thing I had to remind myself, and I do this a lot, right? Because it's represented as Mount Targon, we think, oh, well, you have a region and there's a random mountain there. There's not much on it, but it's its own region, right? It's a massive mountainscape um, that encompasses Targon. So there's so much that can exist on its slopes and at its base uh, that constitute Mount Targon. So keep that in mind because I make that mistake a lot where I'm like, how can all these people and all these things exist on this one peak, this one peak of this mountain? It's like, no, it's a giant mountainscape. Right. You know, it, I mean, it, it's kind of like, um, and, and we also have to remember that it, it's taking in a lot of like ancient tradition kind of ideals where, yes, it, there is this giant mountain and it, but like the land around it is associated with that mountain because people that don't live in that region, the first thing they see is the mountain. So yeah. the region of Targon is because of Mount Targon, but yeah. the, it is a whole region. 
And if you're ever curious about it, um, you can always go to like the League of Legends uh, site because they actually have a map, the world map. And Targon is an entire peninsula. So it's not like a large region, but it's still, you know, about the size of like, say, Korea, uh, which, yeah. I mean, in the real world, we, we recognize Korea, well, North Korea and South Korea as a massive plot of land, even if we refuse to to recognize the northern half of it. But hey, again, that's for our patrons. <laughs> and uh, and again, the people of Targon are, they are people that are constantly looking to celestial bodies. So yep. we have people like Atreus that are raised to look to the skies and know that there are powers beyond their planet that have, that can, that have enough power to affect the way the ways of life for the people of Targon. So they worship those powers above. Whereas, you know, some of them have the benefit of being powerful enough to go and commune with those gods directly and then call them dogs. Uh, listen to our Aurelian soul and Zoe episodes. Uh, so <laughs> like there, there's a lot of tradition here, but part of that tradition is that the very faithful, they will climb to the peak of Mount Targon to commune with these gods from the highest point of Runeterra. Uh, so this would be equivalent to climbing Mount Everest to speak to God. Right. Yeah. And that's what Pilus and Atreus set off to do. And for anyone out there who has ever looked into like the the whole concept of Mount Everest and the idea of climbing to the summit of Mount Everest, a about five minutes worth of research will turn up that if you are not prepared and physically fit, climbing Mount Everest will kill you. <laughs> yeah. And it will kill you very efficiently. And let me tell you, Mount Targon is no different. All right. And for poor Pilus and Atreus, they take their beatings going up the summit. And it is near the summit that Pilus finally succumbs to a combination of his wounds on the way up, as well as the wounds that he suffers uh, when he is taking the climb. So yep. they just got out of this huge life-threatening battle, go on this life-threatening quest, his body gives out. It's literally being caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Um, because uh, of that a, a battle forcing them to only go up. Yeah. yeah. Some some may say a camphor in a hard place. You know, like it's just there's <laughs> just nothing good going on here. So Pilus succumbs to his wounds. Atreus is just as beaten up and everything, but he lays his brother to rest. And as he is already known for doing, despite all these beatings, he gets back on his feet and he finishes the climb all the way to the summit. And he begins to cry out to the gods of how could you have let these barbarians cross into our lands and slaughter your faithful? How could you allow this to happen? And, as we've already spoken, the Raharak are members of the Solari. They worship the sun. So is it the sun that responds? No. Hail Talos. <laughs> Hail Talos. <laughs> Shut up. No, 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 no. No, the sun does not respond to Atreus. Atreus just hears a nice boy. And boy. Boy. 
And with that boy, the god of war descends upon him. And the god of war for the world for the world of Runeterra is known as Pantheon. So Pantheon, uh, for anyone who knows Greek, is uh, is a word that kind of sums up a collection. So you would have like your pantheon of gods, uh, because the pantheon would also kind of goes to like a building that would be a worshiping place for gods. Um, so it's like a house of gods, right? So even to the people of the Raharak, they view Pantheon as a collection of gods, but they recognize that the Pantheon is the one that you would commune with to go to war. But it turns out that Pantheon is the god of war and the god of war descends upon Atreus and makes him the aspect of war. He said it. He said the title card. <laughs> That's the name of our episode. <laughs> hey! it, took us, it took us a while to get there. But as Hesh just mentioned, if you haven't caught on yet, a lot of this was inspired by God of War. Um, yes. The, the original. So that, that, I'm going to reference that as well. Hesh has mentioned, you know, the, the Greek mythology here. Uh, but the current iteration of God of War has gone away from this. When this, when Pantheon came out, which is I think like four, four or five years after the original God of War came out, the story was a lot different and focused on obviously Ares, the God of War, and the main character. So keep that in mind with the reference here. But even so, Riot does a pretty good job of taking that inspiration and taking it in their own direction, um, which we'll yes. continue to talk about. Yeah, they, they they definitely have like their own twist to it and everything, but it is very much like if you know of Ares and the God of War from Greek mythology, but more specifically from the Ares. video game series. Ares! But specifically from the video games, if you follow those video games, you kind of have an idea of how the story goes a little bit, and then we'll get to that nice little Rito twist. All right, And part of that Rito twist here is that, that Atreus becomes the aspect of Pantheon. But Pantheon says, man, you suck, dude. Like, you, <laughs> you let your whole regiment die. You let your best friend die. Yeah. You are weak as balls, and I'm not letting you do a thing. So he d takes the psyche of Atreus and just puts him in a corner and he says, you stay there. And he takes over Atreus's body. Yeah. So, so now Atreus is the aspect of the god of war, but he has absolutely no control over it. He, he's yeah. just a, an, an innocent bystander just watching a movie play out while his body is taking all the licks. So... It, as far as like if we were to get an animated thing of this, it would be kind of like a really quick jump in time. Um, but we luckily, like as far as the story goes, we do get a little bit of story, like a little bit of depictions of what's going on um, as uh, Pantheon takes Atreus's body for a ride and starts hunting down these ancient weapons known as the Darkin. Eh, All right. No, go ahead. Uh, and for anyone who's listened to Arcane episodes, uh, the Darken, they, uh, the living weapons, no bueno. <laughs> Don't touch them. <laughs> so, so one twist here, which, you know, we talked about in previous episodes, how we would be talking more about Darkens, right? Where they come from. And one thing this story will tells us is that Darkens are actually descendants of gods, 
right? In in Runeterra, gods, demons, darkens, they all kind of come from the same thing, celestials. They're all related. It's kind of ambiguous. Um, there's certain events that turn them from one to the other. Uh, so their battles are kind of whatever. Because as mentioned in the camphor quote, uh, as you see here, just because Pantheon's a god does not mean he's cool or that he's good or that he has ambitions that are positive. Um, no, he's the god of war. And, and that is very much a Greek mythology thing yeah. where the gods of Greek mythology, they they weren't ever wholly good. And even the ones that were labeled as bad weren't wholly evil. Yeah. They were just... They just took on their title in excess, right? So the god of war is going to create war, all right? But the interesting thing as far as for the world of Runeterra is instead of just creating war, Pantheon is on a mission, which is to hunt down these Darkin. And all that we know from just the bio is that the Darkin were created in the bygone era. So that kind of does give us a little bit of a timestamp that this isn't at the beginning of time. Uh, or we wouldn't be going back to like the first Rune Wars. This would be after the Rune Wars. But we still kind of have a vibe that it is fairly early on due to the fact that the Raharak still have like a pretty large um, presence in Targon instead of it being, you know, kind of post wars. So now the, with this Atreus is taking his ride, kind of watching what uh, Pantheon's doing. He notices that Pantheon takes interest in one Darkin specifically, which is the Darkin known as Aatrox. Oh, <gasps> Oh, name drop, oh. name drop, <laughs> name drop, name drop. All right. And, uh, and Atreus is, you know, he notices that they were chasing down Aatrox, uh, and he watches as Pantheon is on the chase. And every time that he collides with him, their battles are very intense. It is basically God versus God. So, uh, if you've listened to our Volibear episode, or our Orn episodes, uh, the uh, specifically Orn episodes because Volibear appears there. Hang with me. If you listen to that one, um, <laughs> when these gods or very powerful beings fight each other, it's not good for the mortal realm. <laughs> There's a lot of damage. So Atreus is watching as a lot of these people that he considers his kin are just being absolutely devastated with these cataclysmic events happening around the battles of Pantheon and Aatrox. And the more that he watches, the more that he feels for the people. And he finally gets a chance to really take over his body again when Aatrox impales Pantheon. Uh, so all of a sudden you are watching someone else just run with your body and then they take a sword <laughs> through the chest and they go, well, I'm out. <laughs> um, for you you're Bleach back. fans, if you remember Khan, uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So, so then, so Aatrox, Aatrox gets the better of Pantheon. Yeah. Pantheon dips out. Atreus is impaled through the chest. He and he decides, you know what? Now that I've got my body back and I've seen what you gods do, he spits blood in the face of Aatrox. <laughs> What a Chad move. And Aatrox leaves him for dead because it's like, oh, the guy I was fighting is not even here anymore. Yeah. And 
you just spit in my face. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. How rude. So, how rude. So Aatrox goes to, goes away. And Atreus, as he's always done before, even after being impaled in the chest, summons the strength to drag his dying body back home. And he finds himself on Pylos's homestead and is nursed back to health by Pylos's widow, Eula. This so, is, I, this is insane. We, we don't, yeah, this we don't know it. how much time has passed. So, <laughs> like, I, like if it was just like a couple days or something, or maybe just like a couple weeks, could you imagine just like, oh, just dying best friend of husband comes on my doorstep and then goes, hey, your husband's dead. I'm dying too. Please help. <laughs> yeah, and this this point where the Pantheon dips out, this is the pivotal part of the story because Atreus is not only... Like Pantheon leaving shows that, once again, going back to that camp for a quote, you know, the quotes we do here matter, um, shows that these gods don't have any drive. They don't have any ambition. They don't stand for anything, really, even though people worship them. Uh, Pantheon, the god of war, at a losing position, decides to retreat and dip out. He's like, I don't care anymore. I'm out. Instead of fighting, as you would expect, somebody who cares about the, the battle intensity and being a god of war would do. So with Atreus getting his body back and also spitting in the face of another god slash demon at this point, the darkened Aatrox, he's showing disdain and a rejection of both at that moment. And then to stay alive and drag his ass back home to be nursed back to health, yeah, he's a badass. Yep. Like even though he, he he's a punching bag to a point, uh, he stands for something and he stands firmly for that thing. Uh, yeah. And this will be expanded on as Hedge is about to say. Yeah. He like, Pan, like Atreus is tenacity incarnate. Yeah. And part of your point there is something that we are going to dive into because with, before Atreus is even fully nursed back to health, uh, there are rumors spreading throughout the homestead that there are more barbarians on the way. So Atreus still half dead takes up his shield and spear which he even comments in his bio that they look dull now now that they no longer have the power of the aspect um but he still picks up his shield and spear and he drags himself to the front because he's like well there's barbarians on the way and i have to stand up for my home so i'm going and when he gets there, ready for a fight, he learns that the barbarians aren't actually invading. They're on the run, and they're running from Aatrox. And it's in this moment that all of these feelings boil up of the idea that the god of war ran from battle and the god of the god of war and atrox combined laid so much devastation and waste across these lands and it's because they don't care about the people yep. of the world of runeterra the people that worship them mean nothing to these gods they are nothing but ants and these gods know nothing of hardship and they know nothing of mortality and the drive and will to survive. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's almost like you live in a country with a government that, uh, okay, we'll leave it at that. So that's our Patreon, our Patreon content. Um, but if you, if you're listening to what's happening, this is very remnant of 
revolutions, right? This is a revolution against the gods and the person leading this revolution is Atreus himself. So this is one of the big differences um, between this and God of War, where with God of War, Kratos is a very singular individual that's doing things himself, right? Whereas Atreus is trying to do the same thing, you know, affront the gods, but he wants to do it with the people and help the people do realize what's happening and why they should follow him into this revolution. That's a big key point. He's not, he doesn't want to do it alone and he's not alone. Um, and he sometimes doesn't even want to be the face of the movement. Um, he just wants to make sure that the movement happens. And because of his tenacity, it pushes him to the front. And then also, you know, cool ass weapons, <laughs> cool ass God yes. weapons that got left behind, which is very cool God of War. Kratos weapons. uses God weapons as well. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's the like Pantheon. Pantheon definitely has more of like a soldier spirit, whereas Kratos, Kratos just had a, a spirit of vengeance. Exactly, uh, that's a great way to put it. Like, like Pantheon isn't trying to be vengeful. He doesn't want to kill every god. He just wants the gods to stop hurting the lives of mortals. All right. So it's in this moment of Pantheon you know, taking his stand against the gods and he's like, everybody shut up. Even you barbarians, y'all shut up too. This will be my fight. We will deal with these gods and we will chase them from our lands. And Aatrox is looking at him going, Hey, haven't I killed you before? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it's, and then it's like, Oh, you know what? Who cares? I'm just going to kill you again. Yeah. Because now you're not even Pantheon. I don't know who you are. It's, so you're a nobody and you'll just die like the rest of the nobodies. And it is with this battle that just through sheer tenacity, anger <laughs> and will that Pantheon is able to fight toe to toe with Aatrox. And the more that he is fighting with Aatrox, the more of the power of war yeah. is coming back to his weapons and to his body. So even though, the pantheon has dipped. Uh, it's even mentioned that the constellation that the people worshipped and recognized as pantheon, like that's gone. Yeah. So there's missing stars. Um, the stars start kind of they're dim, but they start coming back a little bit. So the stars start coming back. His weapons and his shields start glowing again. And Atreus starts to become Pantheon, even though Pantheon's not here. Pantheon is on vacation because he said, <laughs> screw this. Right. And Atreus is becoming Pantheon just to spit in the face of Aatrox again. All right. And it is in this moment that he is able to become full on the aspect of the God of War. He defeats Aatrox, but Aatrox is able to run away. And that is where his story kind of leaves off, where Pantheon now is the face of this movement of, hey, everybody, maybe, maybe it's not so bad to be agnostic. <laughs> there's two things yeah, there's two things i want to point out because the fight with atrox is funny because if you've known the meme where it's like okay i'm gonna fight and then it's like him sitting down drinking water like damn he got hands <laughs> after you get humbled that's essentially what happens to atrox um but as far as the constellation one cool depiction because this you remember this 
this profile was written a long time before um, Legends of Runeterra. But a in Legends of Runeterra, if you pay attention to the art, a lot of people were very happy when Pantheon <laughs> got revealed because if you notice his cloak, inside his the lining of his cloak is a ever-moving constellation of the stars that used to exist. So when Hetch says, you know, the the constellation is gone because Pantheon has essentially given up and Atreus is becoming essentially the new Pantheon, Shin Pantheon, if you will, <laughs> it's actually <laughs> reflected in the art now, which is really cool, where you see the constellation on his body, on him, the person Atreus. Uh, it's... I, I like the way all of that has come together over a very long. I mean, he was released in I think 2010. Uh, this is a yes, lot of growth yeah. for the character as far as just content and story. Yeah, it's really and cool then, to see. Not to out. mention, not to mention that like his original bio was beyond boring. Yeah, because his original bio was just like I'm a Spartan herder, and <laughs> and that was it. Like like now they've. They, now they've given him like so much more depth and it's incredible. But um, as far as that goes, you know, that is going to take us over to the card and uh, Pantheon's card is very interesting. Uh, and if you've ever played the game of Runeterra, then I can pretty much guarantee you have gotten rolled by this at least once. We all have. There's no shame in it. All right. And <laughs> so Pantheon is a four mana three, two with quick attack. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, so he, he is a four mana three, two with overwhelm barrier and faded, uh, faded being, uh, give gr being granted plus one, plus one. Every time you, the, the controller targets this unit, right? And his level up condition is you have targeted allies in five different rounds. All right. So the level up is a little bit weird because you don't want to be blowing your entire hand into pantheon or into a different unit in one turn you gotta like take your time and build it up because you need the turns to go over uh so that you know like turn one turn two turn three up to turn five to get the flip all right now when he flips he's a four mana for three overwhelm barrier and faded but now once pan once a pantheon has leveled up Grant me a random keyword for each round you have targeted allies this game. So, and there is a world where Pantheon can drop with legitimately every keyword in the game. Um, if somehow you are playing a Pantheon de deck and you are able to play a Pantheon with every single keyword in the game, that game's probably gone on too long and you probably still won't win. But it is possible. <laughs> you can have every keyword. Um, and at the point of us recording this, uh, this is uh, almost like a year after his release. Yeah. So he's been nerfed before because I think he was originally a 4-3 before the flip. Yeah, he became a problem. So, yeah, he, he was a problem when he came out. When, but Voltron, the, when a Voltron deck is uh, dominating the ladders, it, it tends to be an issue. <laughs> it, it can be very polarizing, yeah. very polarizing. And he was very polarizing for a minute. But yeah, we got around it. Now he's just good. Like if you're up yeah. against Pantheon, you know what to do. Deal with the Voltron. Kill the Voltron. <laughs> like, um, 
but let's let's look at the flavor. All right. So on this front side, we've got here stands Atreus, who had his freedom stripped from him by the very aspects he revered. He stands the embers of war who left Atreus with gifts few mortals can comprehend. Here stands a man ready to fight and die for those he cherishes. Uh, and this is why like that quote right there is one of the reasons why, you know, like pantheon is much more of like a soldier than kratos because like a good soldier doesn't is fighting not because he hates what's in front of him he's fighting because he loves what's behind him Ooh. and and i not my, quote, not my quote <laughs> <laughs> not my quote not my quote uh but uh the you know like pantheon is fighting for the mortals that can't defend themselves against the gods yeah. uh, but then he flips and when he flips here stands pantheon who took up his spear and swore to drive all gods and demons from this land we call home and if you've seen the level up animation for pantheon like that right there like you were already hearing it in his voice no more gods he's <laughs> <laughs> <it's> crashing <laughs> down to earth <laughs> yeah dude it's like his card I, you know cards gray the flavor for pantheon and it's only gonna get better in our next episode when we talk about the story more in depth um because the story you know a little teaser for that episode is from a first person point of view so you can get a sense of how pantheon sees the world through an event where he's interacting with another quote unquote god slash demon uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. If you've listened to our other episodes, you'll know. You'll know when we get there. Oh, yeah. We have a cameo and, coming up. <laughs> man, and especially like with the canon that we've been building up ourselves, I now just want a story of Pantheon running into Bard so that Bard can <laughs> offer him a Dodge Challenger. <laughs> that would be an interesting interaction. Uh, Riot, hey, I, people wouldn't expect that where, hey, you're doing the Pantheon storyline or quest line. And for some reason, the target is barred. Like that, that would create <laughs> that gives like, you space to do some really good writing. That that could be a lot of fun because, like, you could have like a whole story of Pantheon just kind of like slowly. Hey, maybe this guy's not so bad. I don't get it. <laughs> like, he he's clearly a celestial, but he's also like actually cares i don't like but he's sort of indifferent and aloof i don't yeah. <laughs> what is going like, on but he cares about the world but he doesn't care at all about the people and he keeps abducting them i what is happening and using them <laughs> like slaves <laughs> question mark huh <laughs> right right we'll help you write it anytime you want <laughs> you don't even have to be a patron oh man <laughs> <laughs> With that, uh, this has been a long one, uh, but we appreciate you guys sticking around. Uh, we were excited about Pantheon, which is why this went at length, and the next one might be long as well. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with the next episode. Yeah, we're, we're too stoked. Take care, everybody. <laughs>